let's jump right in here. So today we kick off um, our, our uh, Big Five sermon series. Kind of an odd sermon series title. Uh, and what that is, is, is we are um, going to be spending the next few weeks working through the first of our five core values. We have five core values, so the big five, this is actually five different sermon series that we'll be having over the course of the next year. As we dig into Blessed Hope Community Church's DNA, and we look at our core values. And we're going to tackle number one today, but first, just by way of review, let's look at this. Here's why we exist. You know this, we've had sermons on this before, you, you understand this well, I hope, but let me remind you. This is why we exist. We, as a church, exist to bring a hurting world the hope of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. That's what it means for us as a church to be on mission. If, as a church, we get to a point where we are only worried about us inside the walls of the church, if we get to a point where we are so focused on one another here in the church, then what we would say is we have lost focus of our mission. Because we do not exist for ourselves. This is the analogy we used when we had that sermon way back when. The analogy we used is that we are not a club, right? We are not a country club. We are not a place where we come and we pay dues and we belong and it's all about us. That's not what this is, right? But instead, this is a missional sending agency. We come together to worship the God of the universe and be equipped for the ministry that happens outside of our walls. Faith in action, we just finished. That was a great example of that, but that's just one example. It doesn't quit. We exist to bring a hurting world the hope of Jesus because the world is broken and the world hurts. Hell is real and people you love are destined to be there without intervention, without the gospel. This is why we exist. We keep going. Here's what we've said, though. One of the ways that we encourage um, and we push on towards the sake of the mission right, of the purpose of bringing a hurting world the hope of Jesus, is we teach, we encourage, and we admonish in these four things. So if you are part of the life of the church here, if you are a covenant member of the church, or um, if you have decided to make this your home church, even if you haven't necessarily become a covenant member yet, we can talk about that, um, but if you call Blessed Hope Community Church your home, right, then we are encouraging, admonishing, and, and, and pushing you in these four things. One is to follow Jesus. First and foremost in your life, follow Jesus. Two, to connect to the life of the church, to get plugged in, whether that's plugged into small groups, whether it's plugged into service, and, and not whether, it should be. Listen to me. I, I, I know we hate the hard sell, but listen, plug into small groups, plug into service. Get plugged into the community of the church. Connect to it, right? Three, grow. Listen. Bless you. Saved people grow. Healthy things grow. It's just a matter-of-fact statement. So we are going to encourage and admonish and push you to grow, to be different than you were. It is the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. It is the gospel of Christ that saves you. And once you are saved, guess what? You are to grow. Period. And then finally, when you're following Jesus and you're connected to the life of the church and you're growing, then, then there's this natural outpouring where you live on purpose. And so we exist 
to bring a hurting world the hope of Jesus. Our job as pastors and elders of the church is to lead you in these four things. Because as we lead you in these four things, we prayerfully believe that will help you grow in bringing a hurting world the hope of Jesus. We'll be able to pull it off well. And then we get to core values. And the question of a core value is then what is it? What is a core value? Core value is, is part of our DNA. Core value is something that we use to evaluate. We have five core value statements. Those five core value statements help us to evaluate what are we doing, why are we doing it, and is it working? Because when we look at how we budget, when we look at what staff we bring on, who we say yes to, what staff we say no to, and, and I'm not just talking about positions, we do it for positions too, but for individuals. Who we say yes to, who we say no to. Right? When, when we look at, at, at our own elder leadership, when we look at the ministries of the church, yes to, and the ministries of the church that we either say no to or that we move away from, when we look at how we set our budget, we use our core values to ask the question, are these in line with our mission, with what we're trying to accomplish? Here's our five core values. You should know these. You, you've, you've had these in front of you many, many times, but just as a reminder. And you'll notice they kind of tell a story. Core value number one, what we're entering into our sermon series about, is we are just running to keep up with Jesus. That's all we're trying to do. We are trying to follow Jesus. Two, we're going to pursue Jesus with ridiculous joy. I mean, listen to me. You have the message of hope to a world that is broken and lost. You have a message of hope and reconciliation with the God of the universe. You speak for Christ when you say, there is a God in heaven who is not holding your sins against you, but in Christ is ready to welcome you home. Listen, if you are going to be whiny and complainy about that, I mean, come on. Um, knock it off. You know, Mark Johnson always used to tell the joke. He'd be like, well, you know what? I used to be sad and depressed. Then Jesus turned my life around, and now I'm depressed and sad. I mean, knock that off. There's no room for that. You are pursuing Jesus. I know, Mark. That's, that's good stuff. Um, you are pursuing Jesus with ridiculous joy because he is victorious. Therefore, so are we. And we are on a rescue mission. That's what it means to take a hurting world, the hope of Jesus. We are on a rescue mission. Hell is real. I promise you, there's people you know and love that are going there. We're conduits of the gospel, not containers of it. We receive the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, not so that we can hoard it for ourselves, but so that we could pour it out on behalf of him for other people. We are what 2 Corinthians 5 calls us, ambassadors of grace. And then number five, we will not get in his way. And you'll see how that comes right back up to the first one. We're not getting his way. Instead, what we're doing is we're running to keep up. 
So those are the five core values that we're going to be dealing with in our big five series. This first series, we're just tackling the first one. We're running to keep up with Jesus. And after we published that, there were some people that asked the question, well, what does it mean that we're running to keep up with Jesus? Doesn't Jesus ever go slow? I'm sure sometimes Jesus goes slow, right? The problem is what's slow for some people is really fast for others, right? Like, like for some of you, a, a change or a move that, that God does that takes two years to complete, that's a breakneck pace. You're like, slow down, Jesus. For some of us, two years is like, okay, that, that's like 11 months and three weeks, or I'm sorry, 23 months and three weeks too long, right? So, so yes, sometimes Jesus moves slower. Sometimes he's far ahead. Sometimes, sometimes, get this, this will, sometimes he says, just stop and wait. Just be still. And so you're right, you're right. So why do we say running to keep up with Jesus instead of any number of other ways that we could frame this? And there's two reasons why we say it this way that I want you to understand as we dig into this. One is because for most of us, doesn't matter how fast or slow Jesus is moving. For most of us, if we're really honest with ourselves, if we really take a look in the mirror, for most of us, he's so far ahead of us, it's not even funny. He could be crawling, but for most of us, he's so far ahead of us that it just doesn't matter. We've got to run to keep up. And two, and, and we firmly believe this to be true, most of us can't fathom what Jesus wants to do. Look at this text in Ephesians 3.20. It says, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us, the Holy Spirit that's at work, Christ in us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might think or ask. Listen to me. Jesus wants to do more in and through you than you know. So we are running to keep up with Jesus. And, and one of the things that we're going to dig in on this is as we deal with this first point over the next few weeks, first thing that we're going to talk about today when it comes to running to keep up with Jesus is just this simple thought, right? Everything is about Jesus. He is absolutely necessary to the life of a Christian, but for our purposes, too, he is absolutely necessary for the mission of the church. If you show me a church that does not major on Jesus, then I'm going to be um, looking at a church that has forfeited its purpose. Jesus is the, is the mission. Jesus is the reason we exist. We are bringing a hurting world, what? The hope of Jesus. It's all about Jesus, and he is absolutely necessary. He's necessary in your life, and as far as core values go, he is necessary for the church. Everything is about him. Listen to me. You cannot be a Christian without falling on the grace of Jesus Christ. You cannot be a, a Christian that, thro that grows and thrives without submitting yourself to following wherever he leads you. You just can't. You can't be a, a growing Christian who is different today than you were yesterday and will be different tomorrow than I am today and that just is continually growing if you're not surrendered 
to Jesus. We can't be a church that is effective in bringing people into the the throne room of grace. We can't be a church that's effective in saving people from hell, in advancing the kingdom of God, and bringing more people to glorify and worship the God of the universe. We can't be that church unless it's all about Jesus. We, as a church, are running to keep up with Jesus. It's what we do. So let's dig in here. It's not a, not, not a lot of text there, Matthew 9, 9, but we're going to take it apart a little bit. We're going to look at it, and then if we have time, we'll jump into Philippians. Okay? Matthew 9, 9 says this. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up, and he followed it's a simple story. It's a narrative in Scripture where Jesus is walking along, and he says to a guy named Matthew, some of you might know him as Levi. If your version might call him Levi. Excuse me, same dude, same guy. Your version might say Levi. So, so Jesus is walking along. He stops at the tax collector's booth, and, and he looks at Matthew, and he says, hey, bro, come with me. Matthew sits there for a second and says, okay, cool. Gets up, leaves everything behind. And he follows Jesus. That's the end of the story, right? Then that night we read about a party that Matthew has where Jesus is the guest of honor and he invites all of his tax collector buddies. But, but we'll deal with that another time. But in this scenario, Jesus is walking along and he stops in front of Matthew and he says, Matthew, get up, leave it all behind, and come with me. And that's not a small ask. It's not a small ask. Because there's a couple things in play there. First of all, the fact that Jesus would even ask Matthew, I mean, most of you probably know this, but just in case, and, and as by way of reminder for those that do, tax collectors were bad dudes. Here's what we know about Matthew. One, his name is awesome. can ask my parents if they gave me the name Matthew because it was biblical. No, they just liked it. They just liked it. It is what it is. But, but still, I get credit for it. Um, so here's what we know. We know his name's cool, um, and we know he's probably a scumbag. Right? I mean, we're speculating there to a degree, but, but I mean, those are reasonable speculations based on who he was and what he did for a living. See, he, he was a tax collector— and um, I know some of you are getting mad at me. You're like, we love to pay taxes. What are you talking about? I know. Listen, taxes are good. We can have a political debate later. I love it when they pick up my trash, right? When there's a fire and they come and take care of it, I love it, right? It's good stuff. Happened to me once in the basement in Bettendorf. I left a candle burning in a candle holder. The candle holder caught on fire, caught the wall on fire. Not a big deal. Um, but, but they come, and they put it out. It's middle of the night, and, and uh, um, the, the, the guy asks, he's like, you know, apparently they keep track of this. Well, what kind of candle was it? It was like 2.30 a.m. Blueberry. <laughs> he was not amused. I thought I was funny. But you know what? I was great. Taxes paid for that. I, I was a big fan of that, right? Taxes are fine, but, but here's the problem. What's happening is Matthew isn't collecting those kinds of taxes. What Matthew is doing is he's collecting Roman tax. The Roman tax was very specifically for one thing. 
well, two things. One, to pay tribute to Rome, and it was something that a, a subjugated nation would do to pay tribute to a nation that's over them. And if I refuse to pay, well, then guess what? Then they would come and take care of me. That was bad enough, but here's the worst part. The, the taxes that the Jewish people would have to pay to people like Matthew would do another thing. They would go to pay for the Roman occupation because Rome had invaded the land with its armies, garrisons. So really, the Israelites weren't allowed to govern themselves. They were allowed to govern themselves, but over their governors were the Romans that lived in the land. That's why we read about when they want to kill Jesus, um, they can't just go to Herod. First, they have to go to Pilate, and they have to ask permission, because Pilate is over everything. He is um, the proconsul. He's over everything in that area, and he's Roman. And so what would happen is you would collect these taxes, and these taxes would go to pay for the housing and feeding and salaries of the soldiers that lived in your land and oppressed you. So you can imagine how popular Jews were who decided that it would be a good job to take money from my own countrymen to pay for the Roman soldiers that are going to oppress us right here in our homeland. But worse than that, good research tells us that they charged you a third or double over what they needed. Why? So they could line their own pockets. It was the benefit to doing a job that nobody else would want to do kind of like when we, we look sideways at, at, at uh, public servants who get rich while serving the public. It's not really supposed to work that way. But that's what it was. So Matthew was helping support the Roman occupation of Israel at the same time extorting his fellow Jews to get rich. He was scum. He was a traitor. He was the worst of the worst. They wanted nothing to do with him. Regular, God-fearing Jews or even cultural Jews at the time would want nothing to do with a guy like Matthew. But here he is, sitting at the table, collecting his taxes, living a life of opulence and luxury while everybody else suffered. Um, and, and what happens is Jesus now, this new rabbi, this teacher, an expert in religious law, like the exemplified in his position everything that Matthew wasn't. Jesus walks by and says, hey, leave that all behind. Get up and follow me. And there's nobody that was confused about the invitation. When a rabbi asked you to follow, what it meant was leave your old life behind and engage a new life and immerse yourself in this new life. And where I walk, you'll walk. And what I eat, you'll eat. And where I go, you'll go. And what I teach, you'll hear, and you'll learn, and you'll live it, and you'll put it into practice. So that eventually, right, the student of a rabbi eventually would become a rabbi himself. And would get his own disciples that he would then live that way with. Right? The ask is clear. Everybody knows what Jesus is asking when he stops at the table and he says, Matthew, get up. Follow me and be my disciple. And Matthew has everything to gain. But get this. Matthew also has everything to lose. 
And so he's at this precipice. He's at this point where he can do a couple of different things. He can either deny or he can get up and go. Those are his two choices. Jesus doesn't give him a third option. And, and here's the thing about following Jesus. We say we're going to run to stay caught up with Jesus. We talk about that as a church, and we absolutely mean it as a church. Listen, if Jesus is going somewhere, and, and, and the four elders, and, and then we have, we have two more that are, that are part of the staff here, so the six elders, if we are convinced in our heart of hearts that Jesus is saying, follow me, we are sprinting to follow him. We don't have any other options. Because we exist to follow Jesus. And sometimes it's really popular. And when it's really popular, we love it. Because we get to do two things. Did my voice just crack? 43 years old. It's supposed to be done. Puberty's over with. Anyway, moving on. So here's what happens, right? When, when Jesus says, go there, and we go there, and everybody says, hey, that's a great direction. We see it. It's clear. We champion it. We're on board with it. Yay, elders! But how often does that happen? Not very often. Usually what happens is Jesus says, go there, and we say, okay, are you sure, Jesus? Because if we go there, people are going to be mad at us, and, and not everybody's going to understand, and it's going to be confusing for some folks, and, and it's going to be hard. And, and Jesus says, yeah, you heard me. Go there. And so we go there. And people are like, oh, you know, we're not sure we want to go there, but, but we're just doing what we've always done. What we've always done is just follow Jesus to the absolute best of our ability. This is what we're called to do as a church. This is what you're called to do as an individual. Whether it makes sense or not, you are to run to keep caught up with Jesus. Now, listen, make sure you're following Jesus, but if you're sure you're following Jesus, then you've got to go. Because he's necessary. You can't live a Christian life if you're not following him. But here's the problem, right? It's easy when he goes a direction that we want to go. It becomes decidedly less simple when it's someplace I'm not sure about. And this is, honestly, I'm not, again, I'm not talking about Blessed Hope Community Church, but I'm talking about the church, at least the church in our culture. What we do is we follow Jesus when he's going our way, right? When, when he's on the road with me, and he's like, hey, we're going this way. I'm like, yeah, I'll follow. I was going that way anyway. Is it really following if you were going that way anyway? I don't know. But as soon as he takes a road and he says, now follow me here, I'm like, oh, I don't really want to go there. And so I step back, and I'm like, well, I'm not going to follow there. I followed you here. I'm not following you over there. Um, and then what we do is we hope it's good enough. We hope it's good enough to follow when it's easy. And we deal with this all the time. And, and you see it. You see it if, you, if we, like, really open up the book of our lives and we really look at what happens. We see this. You know. You know. I know in my own life. Um, and we know it in other people. We see areas of our lives where we will, yeah, we're going to follow Jesus to the end when it comes to that. But then there's this other thing here. There's this other way that he says, go follow me here. And I'm like, ah, I'm not doing that. You know, I mean, we, we know these examples, right? Like, oh, you know what? Sex outside of marriage is too easy and it's too good. I'm, I, I'm not giving it up. I'm not waiting until I'm married to do that, you know? 
or it's go this other direction. It's like, you know what, Jesus, I'll follow you, I'll follow you, I'll follow you, but I didn't plan on this baby. I didn't plan on this pregnancy. And so I know what you say, but I can't, I can't go there. Or you know what, I, I know what you say, um, Jesus, I, I know where you want me to go, I know how you want me to follow when it comes to, to just purity outside of marriage and, and, and cohabitation. But you know what, this is simpler, it's easier, we're just going to do this together and, and uh, you know, we won't worry about it. We followed you in everything else, you'll give us this one. Or God, I know what you say about forgiveness. And I know you want us to forgive everybody. And I'll forgive people that I'm a little bit angry with, but those people that I'm really mad at, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to forgive. I refuse to forgive, and so I just won't. And I hope that, that what I gave you was close enough. And that's the game we play. And, and listen to me. It's a game you can't win. It's a game you can't win because Jesus doesn't say, follow me when you feel like it. The reason we use the phrase running to keep up with Jesus is because, listen, you've got to put everything else away. And your one focus, your one goal, your one task is to fixate on Jesus so that you can follow. So when he stops by your table and says, get up and follow me, you're like, where are we going? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Just get up and come with me. You'll notice Matthew did not ask a lot of clarifying questions. What about my stuff? Doesn't matter. What about the fact that I'm going to be leaving all of the friends that I have? They're bad people, but they're my friends. And I'm going to go embrace people that want nothing to do with me and try to minister to people that I've alienated. Doesn't matter. Just get up and follow me. But what am I going to do for retirement? Like, if I leave all my stuff, I'm not going to have any money. Where am I going to live? It doesn't matter. Just follow me. Right? Just follow me. But how could you ask me to do it? Doesn't matter. Just follow me. See, when we are running to keep up with Jesus, we are fixated only on Jesus. But that's the great thing about Matthew here, is he just responds. He gets up, and he goes. And was it the place he wanted to go? Probably not. Was it the direction that he thought made perfect sense? Probably not. But he follows. It's just one simple sentence. I'm going to count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven words. Matter-of-fact statement. Like it's a foregone conclusion. Jesus does all of this. Jesus stops and says, hey, be my disciple. Get up, follow me, go. So Matthew got up and followed him. Period. That's it. Listen to me. If there were a biblical author writing your story, and, and Jesus has stopped by your table, and I promise you, Jesus has stopped by your table, and he said, hey, get up, follow me, be my disciple. He says it all throughout the Gospels, learn from me. And he says this weird thing, be holy because I am holy. He says, you haven't had an affair, that's great. You've looked at a woman with lust in your eyes, that's just as bad. You haven't murdered anyone, good for you. But you've had anger in your heart, that's just as bad. Leave it behind. He stopped by your table and he said, listen, you forgive 70 times 70. That's a lot of times. I mean, he stopped by your table. 
And he said, get up, follow me, be my disciple. If, if there were a gospel author writing this narrative in your life, what would they write? Mirror time. What would they write? Now, I'm going to say mirror time, and it's going to sound oddly suspicious because our names are both Matthew. So we're going to call me Chet for right now. Mirror time. Chet. So Chet got up and followed? Is it going to say, so, so Chet hedged his bets and he went and followed at a safe distance? Is it going to say, so, so Chet went um, to the point where all of a sudden it got really uncomfortable and then he quit? It's going to say, Chet, Chet tried to negotiate and bargain with Jesus and said, well, I'll give you this, but I won't give you this. What's he going to say? I mean, this is, this is listen, I, I know this is, some of you are like, okay, yeah, you're, you're beating a dead horse. I know the thing is dead, and we are stomping on it because you can't miss this. Because your life as a Christian makes sense when it's about Jesus. Your life as a Christian makes sense when you understand that Jesus is necessary, and because Jesus is necessary, I am just running to keep caught up. I am running to follow Jesus. That's it. It's done, right? And, and here's the thing, right? When you follow Jesus, I promise you, you're going to be in an awkward position. You're going to be in a spot where God shows up, or you're done for. Welcome to the life of a disciple. Some of you, that prospect is enough for you to walk away. The fact that I'm going to put myself completely and solely in a position where either God shows up or I'm finished. Some of you will look at that and will say, you know what? Yeah, that's scary, but man, I need Jesus. And so I am running to stay caught up with Jesus, and so I'll risk. I'll risk relationally. I'll risk financially. You, I mean, how many times do I have to tell you the stories about ways I've screwed this up in my life? Where the story would read, and Chet was obstinate and did whatever he wanted anyway. And then it fell apart. But listen to me. You've got to push forward. And here's the thing. Some of you think you're done. Right? You've reached that, oh, you know, I'm at this, I'm at this Christian retirement. Like, I've grown, I've sacrificed, I've poured out, I'm good. Listen to Paul. Oh, man. You can tell David when he gets back, I had trouble too. Here's what he says. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection because Paul knows that he's not. Paul knows he's talking about growth. He's talking about running to stay caught up with Jesus. He's talking about the fact that because Jesus is necessary in his life, that he is always striving to keep running after Jesus. And he says, I'm not trying to say that I'm perfect. I know I'm not perfect. I know I haven't got this all figured out. But, here's the key, here's the key. I press on. I run. Press on there. It's the same language he uses in, for the Corinthian church when he says, some athletes run to get a prize, a laurel. I run for the goals that Christ has called me heavenward. I run to win. 
Press on. That's what he says. He says, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Jesus first possessed me. And then just in case you were unclear, he's like, no, 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 brothers, sisters. I'm not there yet. I haven't achieved it. But I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Listen to me. Listen to me. There's a couple things that you can understand here. A couple things that you need to know. If you are really running to keep caught up with Jesus, there's a couple things you can't do. A couple things you can't do. One, oh. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved this and that I've already reached perfection. One of the things you can't do is you can't just decide that you're good enough. You can't just decide that you're good enough, that you're mature enough, that you've grown enough, that you have followed Jesus enough. Listen, we are one of the only cultures in the world that struggles with this issue. We are a culture in this world that struggles with this issue because we are confused about what the idea of retirement means. Once we retire, we can be confused about it, but I promise you, before we retire, we're really confused about it because most of us that aren't retired, one of the things that we're constantly thinking about and striving for is figuring out what it will be like when we finally get to retire. Man, when I started working as a school counselor, Rule 88 in Iowa, I had it mapped out. It was the middle of my first year as a school counselor, and I knew that if I didn't stop working as a school counselor, I would be able to officially hit my 88 and retire when I was 57. It's like, 57? What will I do? And then I thought, well, but if I keep working till I'm 60, then they'll give me even more money. Right? We're the only culture in the world that thinks about that. Come on, I'm not alone. You're looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm not crazy. Raise your hand if you know when you retire. Okay, rest of you are liars. <laughs> or you're already retired. Okay, but here's the thing. We're th we think about this. We know how this works, right? Some of you have retired like three times already, and you keep getting new jobs. But listen to me. That mindset isn't wrong, but man, you leave it out of your Christian life. It has no business in your Christian life. Paul, pouring himself out, says, man, I have not achieved this yet. I am still striving for it. I press on. I, I'm forgetting. Here's what he says. He's like, I forget the past, and I look forward to what lies ahead. You know what's in the past for Paul? A lot of great stuff and a lot of bad stuff. The church does this. We can't sit and look back and be like, man, we did one thing, and it was awesome. Good for us. Let's coast. We can't look back and say, man, we tried something and it fell flat. We're never going to try anything again. Let's be scared. No, we do what Paul does. Paul says, man, I forget what all the good stuff that happened, all the success. I forget all the failures. And what do I do? I press on. Why? I'm running a race to receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. You know how you do that? You run to stay caught up with Jesus. You run to follow Jesus. You pour yourself out for the sake of the gospel. Listen, we're going to end here. And ask the praise team to come up. 
Here's, here's the thing, and this is something Pastor David will be preaching to you next week about, um, again, this same core value. He'll be taking it a step further, and we'll walk through this over the next few weeks. But, but here's the deal. This is something we're going to refer to frequently in this series, something I want us to understand. It's a phrase. It's a Henry Blackaby phrase. If you know Henry Blackaby, uh, wrote the book Experiencing God. It's a, it's a pretty decent book. Um, I've got it on my shelf if you ever want to borrow it. But here's the phrase. It's called Crisis of Belief. And basically, here's what it means. It's what it meant for Matthew. If Jesus is who he says he is, then you really believe it, then it will somehow show up in your action. It's this crisis time, right? If we know that following Jesus is worth everything, even if he's going somewhere I don't want to go, and we know that it matters— and we know that we're supposed to follow, that we're running to keep up with Jesus because it matters and we're following him and it's all about Jesus. If you know that, and he turns down an alley that you don't want to go down, it's a crisis of belief moment. Do I really believe that it's important to run to follow Jesus or not? Because saying it, that's all fine and good. But if it's true, then won't you act on it? I mean, won't you act on it? I mean, you will. Like, saying it is one thing, but if you really believe it, then you'll go do something because of it. And I'm not worried about the mistakes that I've made, and I don't want you to worry about the mistakes that you've made, because here's what Paul says, forgetting what's behind. I press on. You've done a great job before? Good. Forget about it and keep going. You've jacked it all up before? It's okay. Forget about it and keep going crisis of belief. If it's true, then do something. If you don't do anything, then one could argue you don't really buy it. Why would they assume you did? If it doesn't show up in your life, why would we assume that it's true? I'm going to pray for us. Praise team's going to have you stand. We're going to sing together. As you go, as you leave, don't forget to grab your frequently asked questions page and, and all of the, the, the mail's um, in the congregation, make sure you grab a gift on your way out. If somebody, if some of the women really want one, well, you just got to wait till all the guys are done. It's their turn to go first, and then you can grab one too. God, you are gracious and kind. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you have drawn us into a relationship through the cross that we are made right with you, that we can enter directly into your presence, and that, that God, you have called us to a life of purpose and a life of growth, to a life of holiness and mission. God, help us to, to, to not just know that, but to put it into action. Help us to just run to follow you. God, we love you. We praise you. Amen.